Welcome to Everything Belongs, a podcast for those living, creating, leading, and thriving while in the deep end of life. I'm your host, Madison Morgan, leadership coach, creative consultant, and speaker. I coach soulful visionaries and go-getting mavericks who desire to create art of their lives and take their work both deeper and higher. In this show, I'll be bringing you an overflow of conversations with my favorite thought leaders, teachers, healers, and creatives who inspire me to live more fully in my own power, worth, and wholeness, along with offering some episodes where I share my own practical insights, behind-the-scenes peeks into my process, and tools I use on my own journey. There will not be much we shy away from here because at this table, everything belongs. Therefore, you can expect me to ask the uncomfortable, juicy questions. You can expect that you'll hear people you disagree with on the podcast and maybe even ideas you've never previously considered. I trust you with your own discernment as we take this deep dive. You can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and be challenged by the guests as they share their diverse experiences and views of the world. It's my hope through learning to see that all of it belongs that you will develop a more sovereign way of holding yourself so you can playfully go after the life, relationships, and career you are made for, to let all parts of yourself have a seat at the table, to lead and create from your deepest truth and become your own source of validation, all because you finally know you're worthy of it. All that's required to get started, that you show up curious and willing. Let's dive in. I am so thrilled to bring you today's podcast guest. She's one of my favorite humans in the world to get to be in conversation with in life, in general, in work. And whenever she was writing this book, I could not wait to have her as a guest on the show. Her name is Lisa Oliveira. You might know her from her prolific writing on Instagram and now her wonderful writing inside of her book, Already Enough. If you don't know Lisa, I am so thrilled to be the person to introduce you to her. She is a writer, a therapist, a creative who shares work centered around radical acceptance, cultivating compassion, and integrating our stories and our full humanity. Whenever I think of Lisa and the writing she does, I think of my own journey, honestly, about how I spent so many years wrestling with the story of what had happened to me and even harming myself with the story that had happened, using it to self-exploit, using it whenever I was very religious to convert people to Christ, and then using it to self-harm there afterwards. And Lisa's work teaches us to integrate our story into a beautiful story of enoughness and that we are not only enough, but we are enough even before we do the healing work, which if you're someone who has been in the Insta healing world like I have been, then you know that there are so many things that we make ourselves need to do before we're allowed to believe we're enough, before we are allowed to believe we're whole or good enough as we are. And although it's true that healing and the journey of wellness can benefit all of us, it's also true that we're allowed to live into our wholeness from a place of believing we're enough as we are. So back to Lisa's work. Lisa's mission is to guide people in remembering their goodness, honoring who they are, and reclaiming their inner stories in order to show up more fully in their lives. Her work has been featured in many publications online and in print, such as the New York Times, Cosmopolitan, Good Morning America, The Guardian, Huffington Post, and so much more. She currently has a small private practice and creates courses, offerings, and writing And as you know, as I've mentioned, her first book, Already Enough, A Path to Self-Acceptance, is out now. And I've linked it in the show notes for you so you could purchase it today if you want to purchase it and read it. It's so delicious and so good. And if you want a tiny taste of what you're going to get in Lisa's book, Already Enough, today's episode is going to dive even deeper into her heart. We talk about bridging the gap between humanity and therapeutic understanding, letting go of having your practices and healing need to look any certain way, letting it be so much more human, navigating our humanity in online social spaces, how to live and heal as projection and meaning-making machines, the story of not being enough and where it originates in our histories, how to heal it, when we are no longer the things that we believe that we are, 
And what I mean by that is sometimes we create stories of ourselves that aren't even true anymore. They used to be true and they're not true. And so what to do when that happens, how to accept the things that are hard, even though they might never change, how to hold grief, complexity and possibility of what it means to forgive, willingness and its importance into living into new stories, which Lisa and I both really agree on. And Lisa gratefully opens up in her experience of new motherhood because along with birthing this book, she has also birthed a human person. So, so much expansion for Lisa in the last year, and I'm so honored to be sharing her story here on Everything Belongs. So without further ado, let's dive into the episode and hear from Lisa. Lisa, it has been such a long time coming to have you on Everything Belongs. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about how we've talked about this a couple times over the last year or maybe even more. And yeah, really grateful that we could finally make it happen. Yeah. So the the big reason that we're here outside of you being amazing and just a prolific person and author and writer is um, already enough is coming out and it'll be out by the time this podcast airs, which is your new book, A Path to Self-Acceptance. And I guess I'm really curious for you to share as we're like kicking this off, just what prompted you to write this book specifically? Like why this creative work? Hmm. I've been thinking about that a lot because I got approached about writing a book a little over three years ago. And when I got approached to write that book, it was to write a book that was very practical and very much from just a therapy perspective and with how to's and things like that. And I've always wanted to write a book. So I jumped on the opportunity kind of from a place of like, what if I never get this opportunity again? I better take it now. And through the process of writing it, I was doing a lot of my own growth. I was doing a lot of my own understanding within myself and figuring out what I wanted to share with the world. And during that process, I kind of realized that I didn't want to just share a book from a professional perspective because the things I was writing about really came from a personal place too. And so what started as just writing a book to sort of guide other people on their own path became writing a book that did that and does that in a way, but also also incorporates my own experience and doesn't just come from a professional place, but also a personal one. And I think what prompted me to write the book is the journey that I've taken and the things that I write about in the book, the way that they've supported me in coming home to myself, accepting myself, and really learning what self-acceptance actually means to me, which is a lot different than what I thought it meant for a long time. Um, And yeah, I think so many things prompted me to write it, but at the end of the day, really saying what I needed to hear and sharing a book that sort of has all the things that I wish I had my hands on a long time ago is what really grounded me into saying it now. And, and yeah, a lot of the meaning from the book and the meaning that I've made has shifted even since writing it, I finished writing it over a year ago. So yeah, a lot, excuse me. Um, a lot has shifted and changed, but I think the the main message of the book is just the message that I've that I've lived in in my life. There are so many things that come to mind, but the the biggest one, as I'm hearing you talk about this, is really the reason why I think people resonate so much with your online presence. And I was honored to be able to have conversations with you when you were making the transition from. Instagram therapist to artist, writer, creative storyteller, who's also a therapist and has this education. And I think people always resonated with you because of the humanity you brought to your content, even whenever it wasn't as conscious. And then Mm -hmm. I saw you make that transition, removing therapist from your Instagram name, which is where I mean, as far as I know, where like you rose to a lot of popularity pretty quickly. And then this book feels like the perfect bridge 
where you're bringing in your artistic self, your human self, your real story, but also weaving in the things from a therapeutic lens that would make it really practical. Like whenever I was looking through this and started reading it, I was like, your story is here, but also this could be like with awaken her soul. Like I could confidently say, like, if someone can't afford to take awaken her soul, like I actually haven't Mm -hmm. found a book that I would recommend in place of it. If someone can't like afford the actual program. And it felt like this was like what I could hand out to so many people that would give that fullness of humanity, but enough practical tools to get started actually integrating the lessons that you've had to learn. Was was that your intention? I don't know if it was my intention, but I do think that the bridging of personal and professional um, writer and therapist, um, human and helper, like the bridge of all of those things really unfolded because like you said, I was really working on integrating all of those parts of me while I was writing the book. And a lot of the book has things that I don't talk about on Instagram. Like I don't really talk about what it looks like to do therapy with me or, you know, how I hold space for, I don't talk about those things publicly as much because Mm -hmm. I feel like it's hard to, in a post, it's hard to capture sort of the complexity of what some of those things mean on Instagram. So Mm -hmm. being able to do that in a book has felt really powerful, but I think, yeah, being able to write it from a place of my whole self made it feel a lot more true and aligned and meaningful and not like it was just a tool I was offering, but really tools and practices and ways of being and seeing, and also yeah, just knowing that all of us are on this journey in our own ways, including people who support others in doing that and Mm -hmm. including people who others might look to for guidance. Um, It's been powerful to give myself permission to share parts of myself in the book as well. And I think it made the book feel a lot more complete for me and a lot more just aligned and true to who I am. Um, which is really a part of the journey I've been on the last few years that, yeah, like you said, you've been a part of, and you've been able to see in some context. Um, so having, having that result come up in the book has felt really good. Yeah. Something I love to see you share online and it's come up periodically over the last couple of years that I've followed you and engaged with your work there is whenever you say, I don't have a morning routine, And I know that seems maybe really insignificant, but I think it's a huge relief for a lot of people because Mm -hmm. something that's really sold. And I, I actually really enjoy my morning practices and also don't always do them because they, you know, they ground me, but I, I wonder why that specifically, like that specific part of your humanity feels important for you to share as like having, you know, risen as this like therapy influencer, which is such a strange thing, but also is real. Yes. Like why was that? Why is it important for you to share things like that specifically? Little things like that. I get asked about all the time. And I think little things like that, there are a lot of assumptions made about people around what their day looks like, how they take care of themselves. And it's not that I don't take care of myself, but I get asked all the time, like, what do you do in the morning to make you the way you are based? Like, that's how it feels when people ask that, like, how can I be more like you? So, or how can I feel more like you? Because I assume that everything that you are feeling must be whole and complete and amazing. And that's what I want. Um, that's kind of the vibe that I get from people a lot. Like I must always be this calm, collected person and, yeah, a lot of the time my mornings doesn't start the way that I might want it to, or I don't have space to do the practices that I might want to do. And I think sharing that is a reminder that we don't need it to always look a certain way in order to be able to take care of ourselves in the ways that we can. And we don't need it to look a certain way in order to do what we have access to in the moment. And some mornings it does look like having space to meditate and make tea and sit in silence and journal and all of those things. But I think I share it because we don't necessarily need those things in order to form a different relationship with ourselves. And I think that's actually what people are wanting 
they're not wanting to know exactly what to do, but they're wanting to feel a certain way. And so often we think feeling a certain way lies in these tools and practices when those are just ways of supporting us to relate to ourselves in a way that feels nourishing and good. Um, so I try and share little things like that just to remind people that like, what is it, what is it that you're actually looking for and, and how can you actually find that in your own life, regardless of whether you have a specific routine or you have space and time and energy to do certain practices at certain times, like how can you return to what is actually important to you and what you're actually seeking and wanting in thinking you need things to look a certain way. Um, I find that to be powerful with myself too. Like sometimes I can feel like I haven't had time or space, or maybe I just haven't made time or space to do these things that I know are supportive. Like what's that about? Instead of thinking I need them to be in inquiry with myself. Um, yeah, hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> it does. And it prompts more questions uh, per usual, I suppose, because <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering so much has happened in the last four years on Instagram around mental health. You know, whenever I, whenever I started sharing coaching things on social media, it actually wasn't popular yet. And so I would talk about things like our programming and our stories. And it actually felt like I was, I, that people weren't understanding even what I was talking about. And then the rise of like influencer culture came and then the rise of therapy and mental health. And then all with that self-help and things have become so diluted. And, uh, so actually the, the amount of information, it seems has made things more challenging for people. And I feel like more than ever, I'm hearing people misuse things like gaslighting, misuse things like narcissism, misuse like self-care and like what, you know, I'm actually really hate, like happy people have the education because you can find quality educators in these ways. I certainly have. It's how we connected and a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be healthy and what it means to thrive as a person has also come through this. And I'm wondering like, what do you think it's the social media? Like, what do you think it is about? Like, you must have the perfect morning routine that like, why is it we're looking for that? Like, is it because of social media? Do you feel like, did you see it before this big trend? I'm really just curious your opinion on where it comes from. Yeah. I'm, I think it's so many different things. I think it's everything you just said and so many other, I'm trying to think of the right word to use so many other conflicts that I think humans have been experiencing within themselves for so long are now being looked to find healing around in ways that don't necessarily contribute to that healing in the way that we want it to. And I think social media has become one of those things. And it's tricky because like you said, in so many ways, it is really supportive to have access to people that we might connect with or to see things that might feel inspiring or nurturing or to have access to tools and reminders and education and information. But I think so often when we think that those are the end all be all to finding within ourselves what we're looking for, it's never enough. And that can then translate to, okay, well, I must not be enough when all these things aren't working or I'm taking in all this information and it's not clicking or I'm trying all these things and I still feel empty or lonely or whatever it may be. Um, I also just think that a huge part of healing in general is relationship. And we don't necessarily have that by consuming and by taking in information and by looking to people who live lives in the way that we think we might want or need to live and, and trying to emulate it or trying to do what they do in order to feel a certain way. Um, it gets really tricky when so often because of social media, that's still happening in isolation and it's still happening in ways that don't bring in the actual support and nurturance that are needed to grow and heal and thrive and find safety within ourselves and all the things that I think we like actually are looking for. Um, so it's sort of like this both and of, yeah, it's so amazing that so much of this information is becoming more accessible and how is it helping and how is it contributing to 
this need for more and this need for never enough and this, yeah, this sort of never ending desire that's not getting filled. Um, and I think about that a lot when I share, I think about how am I contributing to this culture of more information, more words, more insight? How am I contributing to this, this idea that we can find everything we're needing in a post or, or find the healing that we're looking for by consuming? Um, that's something that I'm always really aware of. And I think something that affects the way that I try to show up at least. I don't know if I'm always successful at it, but I try to sort of be a voice to remind people to actually listen to what they're really needing and to turn back towards themselves and to turn back towards the support that actually feels nurturing. Um, And I think it's an ongoing exploration and one that so many are doing right now, because especially the last two now going into three years of the pandemic, I think it's become even bigger of a conversation around what do we find online that's nurturing and how is it actually contributing to dis-ease? How is it actually contributing to maybe not experiencing the growth that we're looking for? And holding both sides can be tricky. And I think it's, yeah, important to keep looking at how that's showing up in our lives and the meaning that we're making of all of it. Would you be open to sharing? Because I know you experience both sides of this, right? Like you are a creator and a writer and a therapist, and you're creating content mindful that these things are happening. And also you're online as a consumer of these messages too. And I'm wondering, like, what do you feel as a being someone whose work is consumed is often missed about your humanity that you really want people to know about you? I mean, there's probably so many things, but I think one thing that I've been thinking about a lot over the last year is that we shouldn't need to prove that we're human. And I think for a while, that's something that I felt like I needed to do. Like I felt like I needed to share like the messy parts of my life, or like I needed to share harder things that I've gone through, or I needed to share, I mean, even things as mundane as I'm trying to think of an example, um, even things as mundane as like, yeah, I, I get confused about this too. Just little ways that I think we can feel like we have to prove that we're just human. And I think in some sense, people are kind of looking to others to see like, oh yeah, they're human too. But I think when we do that, we're, we're coming with the assumption that some people are, and some people aren't, and that some people have more humanity and other people's have less, or some people have more need to be seen in a certain way and other people, there's just a lot of um, assumptions that can happen when we forget that we're all actually just human. And maybe that's not something we need to prove or something that we need to ask other people to prove before we allow ourselves to see it in them. And so I think that's something that I think about a lot is where am I still trying to show people that I'm just human too? And how can I not make that my responsibility? Um, and where am I forgetting that other people are just human too? And how can I not make it their responsibility to prove to me that they are just a person? Um, so really looking at projections, the ones that I receive and the ones that I put out there at times and noticing how that informs the way I look at people and how it informs the way I miss myself, um, can be really valuable in terms of showing up online in ways where people might think they have a relationship with me, but don't. Um, So it becomes easier to miss those things. So I kind of try to look at where I'm, where I'm still proving or where I'm still convincing or where I'm still um, asking for things that people actually aren't required to give me and trying to pay attention to that and just noticing when that's coming up and what, what I might actually need in those moments to remember. The uh, image I'm getting, like, as you're talking about this is like, like having to take a picture of your shower and be like, just so you know, if I don't shower, I get BO. If I, if it's 
two yeah. or three days, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah we know that's because you're a person. <laughs> like, yeah. like, just, you know, like I have to get haircuts and not everyone has to get haircuts, but like these sorts of things where it's like, these are uh, assumed in our humanity. My spiritual teachers, Matt and Holly Kreps, I really enjoy them because they're always like, hello, we're projection machines. Remember we're projection machines. And that's like really what they are constantly reminding me because I tend to have this, uh, forgetting that I'm not what people are telling me that I am. Mm -hmm. And also that like, again, I'm doing that to people too. And they'll say like Holly recently shared with me a story of being, she was a single mom and had been sober for two years after like a long period of addiction and was going to this church and sat down, you know, single again, recently sober and this gorgeous couple was in front of her. This is before when we could do this on our phones in the middle of the night. <laughs> so she was at church doing it. And she said they were gorgeous. They were about her age. They had like two beautiful, perfect children. They were well-dressed. They clearly had money. And she had just felt so angry the whole service and so upset and just longing for what they had. And she said within a couple of weeks, uh, she saw him out at a bar with someone. He was cheating on his wife. He was an alcoholic and that uh, she was like crushed by this. And uh, she realized that all she saw in them was her own longings. She couldn't she couldn't, and she's like, and it was true. Like they did look that way. It like both could potentially be true, but all she saw was her own projection. And mm -hmm. I think uh, projection is really missed from our conversations in social media of like, perhaps we're not even seeing each other. We're seeing mm -hmm. the projection of what we need the other person to be to validate the stories we already have about ourselves and about them, Totally. Uh, which is actually literally your book. I don't, I haven't read about projection yet, but what I'm understanding about what you're saying is like everything boils down to the stories we're telling, like the way that we're experiencing the world boils yeah. down to the stories we're telling. And because we're all projection machines and those projections come from unhealed wounds, socialization, biases, unconscious stuff, um, that's, that's the lens we're looking through you gave a lot of really beautiful prompts to start identifying our stories here in the book, but I'm wondering if you could give us some, some ways to start peeling back these projections about and assumptions about ourselves so we can see what's really going on. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I really do think so much boils down to the meaning that we make of what happens. And so much of that is because of the experiences that we've had the things we've witnessed and the the stories that we were told about ourselves from our parents or from their parents, all these different ways that we inherit the stories that we carry. And I think just knowing that that is the case first and foremost is so empowering because it gives us an opportunity to say, what else could be going on here? What What is contributing to me seeing this experience or person or feeling in this way? What is, what is supporting me in maintaining this story? And what is, why is it like, why does it make sense that I'm holding this story in this way? And how else, how else might I hold it? What else might be true? What else might be influencing the lens in which I'm seeing this from? And that doesn't always mean that we change or the experience changes or even the story changes right away. But I think there's something so profound about knowing that even just having awareness of the way we're carrying the stories we carry provides kind of an inroad to something different becoming possible and an inroad to shifting the way that we're holding something, even if we can't necessarily change the story right away, because that's not something that we can do by just thinking about it. It's something we do by changing the way that we live, by changing the way we show up for ourselves, by changing the way we show up in relationships. Those are the things that allow us to embody a different story and embody a different way of being with ourselves. But I think starting with just awareness and asking those questions and noticing when certain stories come up, noticing the feeling in our body that those stories activate, noticing who who were around when certain stories feel more true or more heavy or more loud noticing where we first learned these stories that we carry and where 
where they're impacted the most. Um, I think there are so many questions that we could ask around the stories that we're carrying, but really just finding and starting with awareness and even being open to the possibility that perhaps they aren't actually real or true, even though they're valid based on the way that they came to be in ourselves can invite an opportunity for something different, whatever that might look like, no matter how big or small that difference may start out as. Um, Yeah. Starting there, I think is a huge, huge, a huge space for growth to become more possible. I really enjoy whenever I'm doing this work because it really is continual work because our stories and assumptions stay with us. And I, I find that when I really strip it down, I only have a few truths, like really consistent stories. They're all like delineations of the same, like three things I've been telling myself my whole life and, uh, knowing that, you know, I have a unique trauma story and as do you, but really knowing that no matter what your history is, everyone has some core stories they're telling themselves. And when, when unquestioned, like we really suffer because of those stories, no matter how severe, or if we want to do that, but I know that some of us are like, it was really bad for me, or, you know, my, my story wasn't, it's not so heavy yet. We still all struggle with some of the same core stories. Do you find like in your therapeutic work and in your work with yourself that it's pretty much the same couple stories over and over again in different forms? Yes. A hundred percent. And I think you're not enough is one of them. And that's kind of why I've, I really focused on that aspect in the book because that was, and is certainly mine and is the story that so many of my clients have carried. And there are so many iterations of what that looks like. You know, you're not worthy. You don't belong. You are unlovable. You, it, it can come up in so many different formations and, I think the way it comes up for each of us is really impacted by the specific experiences we've had and the way that we come to learn that story about ourselves. But I do think having this story of not being enough is really central to so many people's continual suffering. And not that understanding that you are enough solves everything, but I think examining that specific story is really profound. And I know that that's the story that I've had to look at and continue to have to look at in different ways in my own life because of my experiences and because of the way that the way that my story was held and shaped even by other people. Um, That's something that I keep returning to when that wound gets poked. Um, But I think, yeah, noticing the story that you kind of tell yourself the most or the thing you fall back to the most, like, well, I just must be this, or I just must not be this. It's, it's really eye opening to understand how deep that story can run and how much it can inform in our lives and how possible it is to start uprooting it a little bit. And I think another one of the reasons I really wanted to write this book is because I don't think it's talked about enough that we don't necessarily have to completely move past all of our hard stories in order to find meaning, in order to practice accepting ourselves, in order to have a fulfilling life, in order to feel more whole, all of these different things that I think we so often think we have to get to a certain place to experience. And I wanted to share, because I've lived it, that actually you don't need to get rid of everything hard in order to find yourself in order to come to know your worth in order to come to accept you and all the parts of you and all the stories you've carried even when some of them are still really heavy even when some of them continuously get revisited in different seasons of your life um and i think having that perspective can make it feel a little bit less intimidating to do this work, knowing that it's not like you need to get to a certain place to feel some of what you're wanting to feel in your life. This feels so true for me um, because I often hold the juxtaposition and like, I guess the both and 
of I'm still very much grieving some of the things that will never change about my family. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, knowing your story and having read your story in your book, like you will never not have been adopted. You will never not have been found in that field. Like that is, that is what happened. And, Mm -hmm. and also you have a loving family and also you have your husband and your baby and a a beautiful thriving life. And they actually coexist. And Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about that a lot myself whenever I I thought that by setting boundaries and doing a bunch of healing work and doing a bunch of therapy that like I would get the family I wanted. And I really Mm -hmm. had a delusion that once I just created and controlled my way into healing, which is hilarious, (laughs) but certainly an assumption I had that Mm -hmm. my life would be perfect. And my mom would say she was sorry and acknowledge the things that happened. And, you know, my dad would be like, you know, I don't think being gay is a sin, you know, all of these things. And none mm-hmm. of that has happened. Yeah. And in that, I still there, you know, holidays can be challenging and full of grief. And I'm like, I shouldn't be feeling this way anymore. Like Christmas Eve every year. I'm like, I shouldn't be feeling this way. And it's like, well, what if this feeling just exists? And also I can really enjoy the holiday. Like it actually gets to be both. And I posted on close friends. You might, you might've seen this. Some of you know, I have a close friend's Instagram and I, I post my uh, more unfiltered, weird <laughs> thoughts there. <laughs> and I shared that, like, I'm realizing that my self-perception has still is still very much that of a, people see me as the 22-year-old, really abused version of myself who's awkward and doesn't fit in and feels really strange. But like people are actually quite intimidated by me and see me as like, this is the feedback I'm getting, which doesn't match my self-perception of like, you're actually really intimidating and you're quite serious and you're like really intense and you're like, you really go getting and confident and smart and all. And I'm like, wow, those are, that is not how my self-understanding is. And what I'm observing is, although those core wounds can still make me feel like a wobbly 22 year old, the proof of my life is actually, I'm not those things. And that there's kind of this like in between of like, oh, okay, I'm, I still experience those stories of not enough. That's my story too. And I'm not good enough. And I have to be, everyone expects me to be better than I am or whatever it is. And I'm like, that's the same thing I've been telling my whole life. And also my life shows me that that's not all that exists mm-hmm. and that the healing work I'm doing actually has served me. And I don't have the family situation that I wish I had. Mm-hmm. And I might never, and that sounds really hopeless, but actually I'm like, not, I'm not hopeless about it. I feel like maybe you understand, yeah. you understand that. Does mm-hmm. that resonate? A hundred percent. Yes. And I think there's, there's a message or sort of like an, an unspoken message, I suppose that if you accept the things that are hard, that can't be changed, that that's somehow negative or hopeless, like you said, or that perhaps it means you just haven't tried hard enough when I think there's something really liberating and freeing and empowering and actually beautiful about being willing to look at things honestly and name them honestly, and also know that that's not all that there is and being willing to acknowledge the pain that you've experienced or the things that will never be, or the things that you wish were different, knowing that they will never be different and letting that be what it is, but not making that mean that that's how everything is. Um, Letting the harder relationships in your life be what they are, knowing that that doesn't mean every relationship in your life is going to be that way, or that you're not capable of finding other ways of you know, relating to people in ways that are nourishing and supportive and loving the things that you might not ever get from certain people, but that you still have access to in other places. Um, Yeah. I think a lot of people can see acceptance as negative or as submission or as giving up when really it, when we do it from a place of wholeness and understanding and compassion it actually invites so much more spaciousness into our lives. And I know that's happened for me. I know that when, when I've been able to accept the things that I cannot change, even though they will always be painful 
And even though there will always be grief that gets highlighted in different seasons around those things and around the complexity of it, it, it has allowed me to find what I was missing in other ways. And it has allowed me to actually see where I have what I wanted in other places. And when we focus only on what we don't have or what we can't change, we, we miss out on the opportunities that exist elsewhere. Um, and in that way, I think acceptance is, yeah, just so powerful and potent and can be such a catalyst for, for finding ourselves in a life that actually feels really nourishing, even amidst the grief and shame and challenge and pain and desire for things to have gone differently than they might have. One of the things around like module five and awaken her soul is we talk about forgiveness and acceptance. And a lot of the people who go through that program have church backgrounds. And so these Mm -hmm. are really triggering and activating words. And I love the way you speak about acceptance because it's all of these words used to be very upsetting to me as well, because it felt like I was resigning to the fact that it was okay. Or I was letting these, these things off the hook where I was saying, it's fine if these things continue to happen and they were, that's not fine with me. <laughs> like it's, it's not fine and it's not okay. And it already happened. Mm-hmm. And I started realizing, and, you know, I know you talk about this and something I talk about in my work too, is like the more we resist what is that we're actually holding the tension in our body. And I started to understand forgiveness as just softening my body around what's already happened mm-hmm. because it, it, if I'm holding on to it, I'm actually holding the energy. If, you know, if you will, of what happened, trying to prevent it from happening again, but I'm holding on to the tension of it having happened. And so as I'm hearing you talk about acceptance, I kind of correlate that word with forgiveness and allowing and with softening so that that energy can complete Mm -hmm. and I don't have to stay with it anymore. Like whenever Mm -hmm. I allow something, it just is an acknowledgement of this is reality. And then I find I have a greater capacity for choosing something else or even just analyzing it from a state of not being in it, because usually I don't have any clear ideas (laughs) whenever I'm in a state of resentment or in the state of the trauma itself. It almost feels, uh, it almost feels counterintuitive when you're in that state of like, if I let go of this, it will continue to happen. And I think that's a lot of our greatest fear. I'm wondering Mm -hmm. In a therapeutic context or from your personal experience, how do you learn to soften around that and trust that by accepting, you're not resigning? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is sort of the predicament that I think so many people are in. And I think in a lot of ways, that predicament is really validated by the culture that we live in. There are so many messages around, you know, it's, you can't forgive because that means that you are saying it's okay, or you have to forgive because this person is your family. It's like on both sides, there are these messages we receive around what it means to accept what it means to forgive and how that informs the way we relate to one another and to ourselves. And I think coming to dissect what it actually means and how it actually takes a place in our lives opens us up to seeing that it doesn't have to be that way just because we've received those messages before or because that's how other people hold it. And I think looking at the tension that you mentioned and how that tension exists in our bodies and how that tension forms the way we show up, whether or not we feel safe, whether or not we invite new experiences in or keep things that we're wanting out, whatever it may be, and finding ways to access what we're seeking in ways that can inform a more safe experience in our bodies, even if it's not with other people necessarily, can allow us to unravel from I almost think of it as like the myths that we hold around what it means to forgive or the myths that we hold around what it means to accept. And even just not taking those things at base value, but starting to look underneath and peel back the layers of 
what it actually will look like to bring that into our lives, what it will actually look like to practice acceptance, practice forgiveness, and asking questions around the fears that come up around it, asking questions around how it feels, even nervous system wise, like how it feels to, to imagine holding certain things differently, which that's kind of what I think about forgiveness and acceptance as is not changing things, but orienting to them in a different way. And unpacking the fear that comes around that can bring more understanding of the way it can actually serve us and the way it can actually serve the life we're wanting to have and the way we're wanting to show up for ourselves and the way we're wanting to relate to people. Um, I think it just takes a lot of unpacking and peeling back and really examining from different perspectives to see that perhaps the way we've been holding forgiveness or acceptance and the fears that are underneath those things, perhaps they don't have to be so. Um, And again, I think it comes back to what else could be possible around it beyond the fear that we have of inviting those things into ourselves. You and I love a, a similar concept and I read about it in your book this morning on willingness. And you mentioned willingness in some of the comments that you just made. And for me, willingness is the portal to any different reality. Um, I often tell my clients like, they'll they'll be like, I've been practicing like affirmations, but I'm like, but your subconscious and like body don't believe these affirmations that you're saying, because they're in such contrast to what you've experienced in your reality. It's like to be like, I'm, I make $10 million a year. And you're like, no, you don't like, that's just (laughs) so obviously not true, but to say, I mean, I'm going to use that as an example. Like I'm willing to make $10 million. I'm willing to make 1 million or I'm willing to make 10,000 or whatever it is to, give the the body and the subconscious more access to different possibilities. And I'm wondering, could you share with us a little bit about how willingness has supported you because, and maybe even share a little bit about your journey, because you talk about your birth experience, your adoption, your teen years, and then your twenties and early thirties kind of like as these markers. And could you walk us through what you had to be willing to do regarding each of these areas of your life? Yeah. Similar to you, willingness is like one of the core pieces, I think, of allowing change to happen internally or externally. And I think I had to and continue to have to be willing to let go of the things I've held as true even though holding those things is true, made me feel a lot safer for a long time. I've had to be willing to be wrong, um, willing to be open to something else being true when that would mean unhooking from something I held as my identity for a really long time, which is you know, for my own story, it's like someone who was abandoned. It's like, I held that as about me for a really long time and doing that reinforced to the stories I was carrying and unlearning those stories felt really scary because it meant reorienting to all of these things that have happened in a different way. And that was really scary and painful for a lot of reasons. But I think a lot of us have that experience of not quite wanting to let go of even things that are painful because they have found a place of safety in us for whatever reason. And the reasons make sense, but being willing to invite in a new way of orienting to the things that have happened to us and then in turn to ourselves it means kind of, yeah, blowing up our identity in a sense and being willing to be with the sort of like shards of ourselves that are, are needing to be sorted through because of that. Um, But I think there's something really energetically beautiful about cultivating the energy of willingness because it 
you mentioned the word soften earlier, and I think that's what it is. It's creating a different energy in our bodies so that a different way of seeing things can actually land. And so that a different way of holding things can actually feel safe and a different way of holding ourselves in the midst of what's happened to us or in the midst of the stories we're unraveling from can feel more possible, not because we're forcing it or because we think we're supposed to be able to hold it differently or because we think we're supposed to have different stories, but because we're, we're willing to give that to ourselves, even when we don't quite know how it will happen. Um, I think it just creates a different opening. And I know for me, it, it approaching things with the energy of willingness created more space for other things to come in and for what needed to come out to come out when I didn't know how to force it out. Yeah. There's something around the energy, like the energetic experience that willingness brings that I think is very different than control or forcing or manipulating or all the other ways we try to make things happen or stop things from happening. Mm-hmm. It's so funny too, because as you're saying this, I'm like, that's usually what people think the force control manipulate whenever we talk about responsibility for our story and we're, that we're yeah. responsible for the stories we tell, you know, we we've heard that like, we're responsible for our healing and the stories we tell, but not what necessarily has happened to us. But like, I think we're doing that still taking responsibility from the place of like, get the perfect morning routine. And then I will just fix everything in my life yeah. and I can fix myself. And that's what it means to take responsibility And I think we're really hurting ourselves that I know I've hurt myself with that. Whereas perhaps responsibility is being willing to experience something else and being willing to do the right next thing, whatever that next thing is for us, because it's going to be different. It might not, it might be less morning routine. (laughs) It might be like taking the checklist off your to-do list for a while. It might not be what we expect, but again, it's like, am I willing to see that what I think I should be doing or think I should be, or that these assumptions about the world are true. Like, am I willing to see that maybe they're not? And you, you talk also about curiosity in the book. And I, to me, willingness and curiosity are like the magic self-responsibility combination because it's not so fun without them. (laughs) It's really, it's really not. Um, it, and I don't know if I would say that they're the flip side of the same coin, but they're like quite energetically similar to me. They feel childlike. Mm-hmm. They say, I saw a TikTok, you know, now, now I'm referencing TikTok instead of books. I'm like realizing my brain is <laughs> rotting. I'm like, oh my God. Um, but I did see a TikTok about the psilocybin science. Yeah. And I do wish I could, like, I should have probably looked at what the study was, but it showed a brain on psilocybin had the same amount of neural connections as a four-year-old. Mm -hmm. and how adults don't, aren't, don't have that many neurons firing and that many connections being made. And I don't think that willingness and curiosity are the same as a microdose, (laughs) but in some ways, in some ways they offer new pathways, which just feels really fun and exciting. And that we don't have to like blow up our lives, but we could be curious about something else being possible. That -hmm. feels more exciting. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to totally change the topic on us because I want to hear about motherhood for you Mm -hmm. because alongside the journey of writing and publishing and now releasing this book, you have gotten pregnant, had a baby, and now are a new mother. And I just want to know how that has impacted the way that you're doing the self-work and also your work in a public way. I think I'm still integrating all of it and I'm still sort of finding my ground in how to hold such an intensely shifting experience. Um, And it's one that I haven't quite found any completion at all around, but, but I think something that it has brought up is the beauty in seeing the work that we've done in the way that we relate to experiences that we've had. And in my, my experience, there's something really profound about seeing me being able to so securely and nourishingly and beautifully attached to my child. Like I think about giving her what I, as an infant needed, I think about 
singing to her in my belly when I was pregnant and, and knowing that I didn't get that, but how doing so for her is actually healing the part of me that didn't. I think about how, when I give to her the things that I wanted or on a biological level, when I look at her and see myself and see her seeing me and seeing herself, it has just deepened all the work that I've already done. And it's been a mirror of like, wow, I really have allowed myself to find healing because I am experiencing this in a way that I wouldn't have if I didn't do all of that work. So I think it's become this, yeah, just like this beautiful mirror of affirmation of like, yeah, I, I have shown up for myself. And because of that, I'm able to show up for my daughter in the ways that I want to. And I have shown up for myself. And because of that, I'm able to offer her the things that I know she needs and the things that I wish I had been able to get in the way that I'm able to give them to her. Um, And I think I'm still also just integrating all the grief that becoming a mother brought up and all the grief that feeling how deep that attachment before she was even here was, and knowing that that's something, yeah, something that I will never have experienced and something that I really missed for a lot of my life. Um, It brought up a lot of grief in that way, but in that sense, it's also allowed me to heal on an even deeper level than I could have without this experience, because it's inviting me to find an even deeper level of acceptance in my body, even, um, the physical experience of pregnancy has, yeah, really deepened my like physical nervous system level of healing around attachment and around the trauma that I experienced as a newborn. And, um, it's just opened up a lot of grief and beauty and everything in between, And also has allowed me to really sort of unattach from all of these labels and identities that I've held as important for so long and come back to what really matters to me, which is my relationships and the way that I show up for people in my life and the way I want to be for the people that I love. Um, Those things have been really recentered in becoming a mother and even thinking about the book coming out just the other day, someone was like, how are you feeling about like rejection from people? And I was talking about how rejection was such a core part of my wound and such a core part of my story. But now it's like, when that comes up, I see my daughter and I'm like, I can't like rejection doesn't exist from people who, who matter. And from people who I experience safety with, um, So it's just sort of reoriented me to just the way that I want to live and the way I want to relate to people and the way I want to be. Um, I haven't quite figured out how to talk coherently about it yet because it's still so swirling in myself. But I think those are the things that come to mind when I think about just the, the profoundness of, yeah, the role that it's taking up in my life now. Yeah. I imagine like maybe age five, you'll have enough perspective on this very unique chapter and you'll be in a swirl about the child being five. (laughs) Exactly. All my friends who are mothers just talk about how every, it's like every stage there's a new learning and a new lesson and then they change again. And so it's like, wow, that's you're like, you're never not a mother. What would you want your daughter to know about this book and about the season of your life whenever she's your age? I think I'd want her to know that I said everything I wanted to say. And 20 years from now, I might have completely different things to say, but what a gift it is to honor the things you have to share when you have to share them and to honor the version of yourself that, that needed and wanted that. And and to allow different versions to unfold, even after you've shared something so permanently with the world. I, I think about how, how she'll feel reading the book. And I think she'll feel really proud of the work that I did in order to be able to show up for her in the way that she deserves. Mm. And 
the stories that I moved through in order to be able to not pass them along to her. Um, that feels really, really meaningful for me. I love that. Thinking back to the conversation, is there anything that feels incomplete or that you want to share or drive home before we move into rapid fire? The only thing I can think of is that it's so funny to put out a book at the same time as knowing people don't necessarily need another book in order to do the work that they are wanting to do with themselves. And I hope that if people read this book, that they are invited to relate to themselves and the work they do in a more, just a more kind and compassionate and nourishing way. Um, and that it becomes sort of a different kind of invitation inward. I love that in wrestling with all of these things myself around like the work I do, I'm like, no one needs it. And yeah. also I remember how much I enjoy it. Yeah. how much I enjoy reading people's books, how much I enjoy listening to people's podcasts, how much I enjoy consuming art and contemplating and being in group containers, like all of these things. I'm like, just because it's not a daily essential, like someone's new, like food is, yeah. um, doesn't make it not valuable. Like I just yeah. really enjoy it. I'm so glad you wrote this book. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Rapid fire. What yeah. is your spiritual background? No spiritual background growing up, um, no religion growing up, but through my teen years and into now, um, very informed by mysticism and very informed by Buddhist practices. Awesome. I know we share a love of Tara Brock. So yes. shout out to Tara Brock. Yes. Uh, what are you most enjoying learning right now? I'm enjoying learning about my daughter, learning about who she is and seeing her become herself for the first time. What is your go-to coffee shop order? Mm, oat milk cappuccino usually. Mm. You know, I still don't know the difference between a cappuccino and a latte. I'm going to have to get a cappuccino and see. I don't either. I just like saying cappuccino. So I order that instead. <laughs> I, love, I love that reasoning. Next time I go out, I'm going to a new coffee shop has a macadamia milk and, uh, That's my friend, so yeah, my friend Jen has been joking about how I just want the most expensive nut milk. And like, I'm like, yeah. I need to get pistachio milk because I think that's yes. even more expensive. And like, I don't know if it's better, but macadamia milk is really yes. good. Sounds um, good. yeah. So I'm gonna get a cappuccino and I'll just like, let you know my take on if it's different than a latte. Please do. <laughs> okay. How do you know when you know? It's a feeling that doesn't need to be explained or rationed, ration, rationalized. That's the word rationalized. Yeah. Rationed would be like a feeling you get a, a, a certain amount of <laughs> also really great though. Right. Like if we could ration our feelings, I'm unable that to do that. Amazing. Yeah. I, I don't you know, know how, how, let me know. I don't know how, um, but if I figure out how I will probably make a course on it for someone. <laughs> so yes. What does grace mean to you? Allowing, allowing what is. What identities have you had to let go of to own your fullness today? Therapist, helper, adoptee, nice person, easygoing, small. Those are the first that come to mind, but so many others mm -hmm. and ongoing. Mm -hmm. The last question is, what do you want? I want to be present and to be with what is. Goodness. This is so beautiful. It's such a joy to know you. And mm -hmm. I know people listening, like see your work on Instagram or are going to buy the book or have the book. And it's just really nice to know that the people are who they say they are and so much more. And I really feel mm -hmm. that way about you. So just thank you for being you and for coming on the show. Thank you so much. It's always an honor to connect with you. And I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for tuning in to Everything Belongs. With the number of podcasts and content online and a very full life, I know the value of your attention and I'm so grateful for every minute you spend listening to this show and having these conversations reverberate through your home, your car, and in your life. Thank you so much. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app so others might find this podcast. 
You can find the show notes for every episode on my website and find more out about today's guest by going to madisonmorrigan.com backslash podcast. And if you want to find a place to get started with my coaching work, the best place to do so is to download the Call Your Energy Back practice. It is a free journal guide and short hypnotic meditation to help you get into a daily routine of connecting to yourself so that you can take up all of your rightful space, embody your wholeness, and live with the power that comes when you really belong to yourself. You can go to madisonmorrigan.com backslash energy dash back to download it right now. This meditation uses binaural beats, the brilliance of your subconscious mind, and powerful coaching questions to release the energy and emotions of other people, to generate a field of protection all around you, and will leave you feeling full of your true self, powerful, worthy, and whole. Now, if you're not already, please come and hang with me over on Instagram, DM me, and let me know your favorite part of this episode. And until next time, remember that curiosity can be a portal to a life where everything belongs.